Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. It is good to see you today. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. We're continuing our sermon series, Inside Out. Our theme for this series is emotional health is the key to living a satisfied and fulfilling life. We hear the word or the term wholeness. And from a biblical standpoint, wholeness is the act of becoming more and more like Jesus. And it is this process of transformation, this process of sanctification where healing of our brokenness occurs. We're talking about the veil being removed and uh, beholding, looking into the glory of the Lord and then reflecting that glory. The first week, we spoke about the emotion, the emotion of anger. The second week, we spoke about the emotion of fear. And today, we're going to speak about the unhealthy emotion of worry and anxiety. How many can identify with that this morning? Amen? I noticed just about everybody raised their hands, and those who didn't, may have a spirit of lying this morning. <laughs> but we're going to pray for them, amen. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, that great powerful verse, that, that great comforting verse, Peter says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Hear the word today, he cares about you. Anxiety is an uneasy feeling of, of uncertainty. It is uh, agitation, if you would. It is dread or fear. It is a state of apprehension, a nervousness, and an easiness. Psalm 38, verse 8. And many of us can identify with the psalmist words here. The psalmist says, I am exalted and completely crushed. My groans come from a, an anguish heart. See, anxiety is portrayed in the scripture as being inconsistent with the trust in God. Anxiety frequently manifests itself in ungodly concern about provision. Performance, reputation, it appears to be rooted in an incomplete knowledge, a, a lack of control over circumstances, and a, and a failure to take an eternal perspective on things. See, at its root, anxiety is a, is a subtle, a subtle ins, insinuation that God is either unable or disinclined to see our welfare. Anxiety is a subtle insinuation that God is disinterested in my situation. 
It is a calling into question the heart of the Father, the goodness of God to care for his people. From a counseling standpoint, anxiety always deals with the what if and never with reality. It deals with a perceived or constructed reality and rarely with facts or reality itself. Anxiety is a state of mind wherein one is concerned about something or someone. And it ranges from a genuine concern to obsessions that originate from a distorted perspective in life. And the enemy wants nothing more than to keep you controlled by anxiety. I'm comforted today knowing that God knows all things. And I think our God has a sense of humor, amen? You know, I lay out my sermon calendar some six months, even, even like a year in advance, and, and I, I laid out this series months ago, and I'm comforted in the fact that God knows the path I'm walking. I mean, a week and a half out of being diagnosed with prostate cancer and then talking about anxiety. I can talk about some anxiety today. But I want you to know God is bigger than your diagnosis. God is bigger than your situation. God is bigger than what you're facing. So today I'm not speaking from a theoretic point of view. I'm speaking from walking through a situation today. And I want you to know you have victory this morning. I want you to know that your God is in control. And when at times you don't think it, you got to speak it by faith. You got to declare, thus saith the Lord. You got to stand upon the promises of God because they are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Can somebody say amen? So I want you to look at what worry will do. The first thing I want you to see is worry will consume you. Worry will take up too much of your time. Worry will become all that you do. Worry will consume your thoughts. Worry will consume your mind. Now notice, when, when worry consumes you, worry will try to control you. See, worry wants to control the situation. One of the reasons anxiety comes off the charts is because you feel out of control. So you're trying then to control. And then what happens is we get into the form of manipulation. But not only will worry control you, worry will confuse you as to what to do. In the second week of our sermon series, we spoke about Numbers 14 and how the Israelites were filled with fear. Worry and fear are bed companions. Did you hear me? Worry and fear are companions. They're, they're bed companions. Worry left unchecked in our lives will wreak havoc. Well, back in Numbers 14, verse 2, I want you to notice how absurd worry is. Verse 2 of Numbers 14 says, Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. 
If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. So notice what worry does. If only we had died in Egypt. Had they wanted to die in Egypt, then they should have not cried out to the Lord to deliver them from bondage. And here the people are consumed with fear and worry of what lays ahead. And in their panic, they reveal their lack of trust in God. So, so notice what worry does. Then worry tries to control the situation. Well, Moses can't do it, so we need a different leader. So we're going to choose somebody to take us back. So we began to control. We began to manipulate. And that's what worry does. Write this. Worry will steal your joy in the present. Worry will steal your joy in the present, borrowing from tomorrow's troubles. It'll steal your joy in the present, trying to borrow from tomorrow's troubles. See, what is joy? And why is joy of the Lord so important in one's life? Because Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. See, the enemy is going to attack your joy because that's where your strength is found. See, joy is not, is not dependent upon your circumstances. Joy is a decision you make because of the condition of your spirit. Because you know you're born again. You know you're saved. You know you're on your way to heaven. And though the enemy may throw darts at you, though the enemy may attack you, yet there's joy in every situation. So worry will try to attack your joy because that's where your strength is found. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28 verse 47 if you do not serve the Lord your God with joy, with joy, verse 48 says, you will serve your enemies. If you don't serve the Lord with joy and gladness, then you'll end up finding yourself serving your enemy. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to serve doubt. He wants you to serve oppression. He wants you to serve discontent. See, that is what will begin to control you. So the enemy attacks you through anxiety and worry, and worry will steal your joy, borrowing from tomorrow's troubles. Sherman Owen says, happiness is of the mind, but joy is of the spirit. Happiness has to do with your circumstance, but joy has to do with your outlook. <laughs> One is an effect you feel. The other is a decision you make because you know God's got everything under control. It's a decision. I'm going to trust you despite what I'm experiencing. I'm going to trust you because you're a good, good father. Remember opening up in the, in the, the, the introduction, I says... I. I said worry is an insinuation, an insinuation that the father's not good. The father can't do it. But as the song we sing, he's a good, good father. He's got you. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, he's got you. Now, I want you to see something here. See, write this. This is very important. Worry will try to steal and destroy your seed. 
Worry will try to steal and destroy your seed. And Mark's gospel is recorded also in the other gospels. Chapter 4 of Mark, we have the story of the farmer who scatters seed. And as he's scattering seed, now Jesus begins to explain what takes place. And in verse 18 and 19, he says this, The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. See, that seed is crowded out. That seed is destroyed by worry. Worry was still your seed, the word in your life. The word is your seed. Now, notice this. A seed produces after its kind. And worry seeks to steal your seed. However, church, your seed is the key to your harvest because there's no harvest without seed. So why does the enemy use worry to try to steal your seed? Because he's trying to steal your harvest. He's trying to steal what God wants to do in your life. So, so a seed has to germinate before it can bring forth after its kind. So the enemy is going to attack the seed in the very infantile stage. In the very moment that seed is planted, he's going to attack that seed because it that seed ever germinates, that seed's going to bring forth. So, so the enemy's going to use worry to steal your seed. But how many today are going to say, Lord, I'm going to take the seed, the word of God. I'm going to allow you to, to cause it to germinate within me because I'm believing you for a harvest. Woo! I'm believing you. For a harvest, the seed represents your future. See, the enemy may not be able to destroy you right now today, but he's looking for your future, looking for your harvest. So he's going to attack you in your thought processes. He's going to attack you in your mind. And I hope this ain't true too transparent, but this week my anxiety has been like right there been right there. Thoughts like the enemy says, you know, I may not take you out today. Oh, but just give me a few years and I'm going to take you out. See, anxiety attacks the seed because the seed represents the promise. The seed represents the harvest. It represents the future. And the enemy is always trying to steal our future. But I'm telling the enemy, no, God says I shall live and not die. God says I'm going to live into my old age till my hair turns gray. So I'm going to color it black until it turns gray. Amen. I declare today that worry is going to try to steal your seed, but you stand upon the promise and you declare the word of God over your life and you declare, I'm standing and claiming my future and my harvest. Mm. 
Worry. D, write this. Worry will manufacture false realities. False realities. All which worry and anxiety manufactures is negative. It manufactures untrue outcomes. It manufactures inadequacies. E. Worry will keep you distracted. The menial will replace the meaningful. You need to get this. The menial will replace the meaningful. Turn with me to Luke's gospel, chapter 10. You only have to look at Martha and Mary. Jesus has arrived. He's in the house. Mary's concerned with getting, uh, Martha's concerned with getting a meal together, making sure everything looks perfect, everything's, everything's in its place. I think Mary, if I was giving her a diagnosis, she might have some OCD tendencies. <laughs> everything's got to be in its place. The meal's got to be cooked at the right time, the proper way. And, and she's trying to control her environment because she wants it to be just right. It's not that she's doing something wrong, something bad, but, it, but it's trying because, because Jesus is here. And she wants everything to be just perfect, everything to be just right. Says Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Notice what anxiety does. Lord, is it an unfair that I'm 51 and I got to get this diagnosis? Lord, is it an unfair that, that I've got to walk through this and somebody else is going through that? See, that's exactly what the enemy does. That's exactly what, what worry does. Anxiety wants to get your eyes off of what you're doing and what somebody else is doing. It's comparison. And how many know when you compare, you always end up a little short? <laughs> you always end up with the short end of the stick. Martha. Martha goes, Lord, it seems to be unfair. Verse 41, but the Lord said to Martha, oh, dear Martha, 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 Martha. You're worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. This phrase right here struck me this week. Mary has discovered it. Lord, help me to discover it. Lord, help us to discover it. Help us to discover what's most important with what we're walking through. Now, I, I propose to you that what, what there's meaning in everything you walk through. There's a, every, every human behavior has a purpose, has a meaning behind it. And it's important that we discover what the Spirit of God has to teach us in this season of our life, in this trial that we're walking through, in this circumstance that is before us. Can I tell you, it's 
not about them. It's about you. It's not about everybody else. It's about what God wants to do in you at this moment. But anxiety is going to take the, the, the focus off of, off of what God wants to do and on how he's doing and working in somebody else's life. And you're going to begin to compare and say, Lord, it just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem fair. I told my kids early in life, Rankin's up, as soon as you realize life isn't fair, the happier you're going to be. It ain't fair I'm getting in trouble. It ain't fair I'm getting the spanking today. So-and-so didn't spank their kids. I said, I don't care what so-and-so did. You're my kid. You're my son. I'm going to whip your behind. Put that on Facebook. <laughs> we need to bring back some of that preaching, don't we? Boy, the young people are all quiet over here. How come y'all quiet? How come y'all ain't saying nothing at this time? You need to say something. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Too many people are caught up on menial things, and they're missing the meaningful things. The enemy is okay with you being saturated with menial tasks because it will keep you from the meaningful tasks. See, Martha was worried and stressed out about the menial while Mary was pursuing the meaningful, the presence. The menial will keep you from the meaningful being the presence. In a very real sense, both Martha and Mary were in the presence of Jesus because Jesus was in the house. However, Mary, as Jesus said, had discovered it and Martha had missed it. And church, I'm here to remind you, do not miss what God is doing. In a very real sense, he is here among you. So discover what that purpose is and give yourself to the meaningful. Give yourself to the meaningful. And in this context, it's the presence. I don't have to remind you what one moment in his presence will do. I won't, I don't have to remind you today how if you'll push away those things that are trying to crowd out your attention, and if you'll just get into the presence, everything is gonna be okay. Everything is gonna be right because you'll discover something. And it's time that glad tidings discovers it. It's time that glad tidings discovers the meaningful, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because to have the presence of God, church, is to have revival. The dead will rise. The sick will be healed. The oppressed will be set free. And the blinded eyes will be open. Can somebody give God praise? The meaningful brings us to our second point. We'll spend the rest of our time here. The antidote to worry. 
I would be so foolish to propose to you or to assume that none of us will ever be in a place where we don't deal with worry. But I'm here to tell you, don't let worry control you. Don't let worry bring his bedfellow fear because fear paralyzes. So let's talk about some remedies. A remedy to worry is this. He knows you by name. Jesus knows you by name. John chapter 10 verse 3 says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Somebody needs to hear that. He knows your name. Worry gets you to question. It insinuates a lack of trust in God. It insinuates that God's too busy. It insinuates that, that, that God's, God's good to everybody else, but when it comes to you, he just isn't good. I'm here to tell you faith says he knows my name. He knows exactly where I'm at. And here the shepherd, it says the sheep come to him. So let me implore you today, run to Jesus. Go to the arms of the shepherd and allow him to pick you up. Allow him to comfort you. Allow his presence to calm you and to steal you. Because that's what the shepherd does. He'll steal the sheep. He knows you by name. What I love about the New Testament is always Jesus and the individual. Crowds following, Jesus enters into the, to the town. Luke 19, you have Zacchaeus. We used to sing about Zacchaeus back in children's church, way back in the day. We little Zacchaeus, he couldn't see. Remember that little song you used to sing all the time? He climbed a sycamore tree. There in that passage, what you see in verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. He called him by name. He called him by name. I pray the Holy Spirit will whisper your name today. I pray the Holy Spirit will remind you that he calls you by name. And that day, Jesus looked up and Zacchaeus, he said, get ready, I'm coming to your house. Woo, Jesus is about to come to somebody's house today. And he's about to do something in your life. I think of the woman who touched the hem of his garment in Matthew 9. Verse 22, it says, when Jesus saw her, he said, daughter, daughter, a family name, <laughs> a name, a name representing the heart of a father to his child. Daughter, <laughs> be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And at that very moment, the woman was healed. Why? It's Jesus and the individual. Anxiety says you're just a number among many. You're just a face among many faces. You're lost in the crowd. Nobody sees you. But the gospel tells me he knows you by name. I love the gospel teaching of Matthew 19. He calls little children to him. He calls the little children 
and he blesses them. Let Jesus bless you today. Come into his presence. Allow him through the power of the Holy Spirit to lay his hand of comfort upon you. Isaiah 49, 16, see, he says, see, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls. He's written your name in the palm of his hand. Quickly, remedy two, God has a higher purpose in what you're going through. God has a higher purpose. This passage touched my heart months ago. Months ago, Peter, I mean Paul, the apostle, was writing his second letter to the church of Corinth. And in the opening chapter of 1, chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, verse 8, he says, We thought we, you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. He says, we were crushed, we were overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought that we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. He says, I'm sharing this with you because I learned something in the process. I learned something in the journey. I learned something and I'm going to pass it on. Hear me. You're walking through a journey to learn something so you can pass it on to the next generation. You can pass it on to the others that are around you. Don't, don't lose sight of your purpose. Don't lose sight of what God wants to do. And Paul says, we were overwhelmed. We thought we were going to die. As a matter of fact, we had concluded we were going to die. But the result was... We stop relying on ourselves and we learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. Woo! <laughs> That's a higher purpose. You're going through something right now. You may not understand it. You may not know why. You may not even think it's right or it's fair. But I'm here to stir you up. I'm here to remind you there's a higher purpose. So you go ahead and praise him in the storm. You go ahead and worship him in the difficulty. Because what Paul learned was to rely upon the God who raised the dead. He says, I learned to experience resurrection power flowing through me. And that was something he could pass along to the church in Corinth. And church, you may be walking through a difficulty right now, but there's a lesson, there's a purpose that God wants to birth within you so you can pass it on to the next generation. Remedy number three. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. That word peace, it means so much more than just a sensation of war. It includes blessings such as wholeness, health, quietness of soul, perseverance, and completeness. I will keep him in perfect peace. I will keep him whole. I will keep them healthy. 
I will keep them quietness of soul. I will preserve their life. I will give them completeness. They won't be broken. They won't be shattered. I will keep him in perfect peace whose thoughts are fixed on me. I'm here to remind you, fix your thoughts upon Jesus. Fix your thoughts upon the word of God. Don't allow the enemy to steal your seed. Don't allow the enemy to steal your future or your harvest. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Don't, don't allow the menial to distract you from the meaningful. When you come to the house of God, get into the presence of God. Discover a higher purpose, a higher calling. Discover what he has for you. Finally, the last remedy, remedy number four. Remember God's spirit resides within you. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. One theologian writes, Paul countered our natural tendencies and excuses by directing us to consider this great gift which we all possess, and that's the Spirit of God. Our natural abilities can only supplement what God calls us to do. The important consideration in all of life's challenges and duties is to remember that God's spirit resides within us. He's the giver of power. He's the giver of love. He's the giver of sound mind, self-discipline. Understand, your abilities, your natural giftings can only take you so far. But the spirit of God lives and resides within you. And he's going to do something exceedingly above you should even think or ask. Woo. So believe it. Accept. Musicians, will you begin to come? Isaiah 35. Verse 1 says, even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. Talking about the reign of the Messiah. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Verse 3 of that same chapter says, with this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. Encourage those who have weak knees. You may be tired. Your knees may be weak because of worry, anxiety, and you feel like, I don't know if I can stand any longer. I'm here to encourage you. Verse 4, he says, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind, unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak. Those who cannot speak because worry has gripped them. Those who cannot speak because anxiety has overtaken them. Those who cannot speak because fear has gripped them. They will sing for joy. Somebody get ready to sing for joy because your strength is found in your joy. 
the Lord told the Israelites, if you do not serve the Lord with joy and gladness, then you will find yourself serving your enemies. Joy is a decision. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't. Pastor, you don't know how much heartache I've had, how much disappointment I experienced this past week. I, you're right, I don't know, but I know the God you serve. You say, well, Pastor, Pastor, I'm just going through a, a, a time of, of, of dryness. I'm going through a season, and I feel like despair is gripping me. Hear me today. If you do not serve the Lord with joy and enthusiasm, it's a decision. He says, then you'll begin to serve your enemy. Don't serve anxiety. Don't serve worry. Don't, don't serve fret and fear. I'm here to tell you, choose to rejoice in the Lord today. Your body may be ill, but go ahead and jump and shout. Go ahead and sing and rejoice because you shall live and not die. God's going to work. God's going to move. Do not allow. Do not allow the enemy to steal your seed. Say, I've got a future. I've got a harvest. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to declare my God is good. He's a good, good father. He's going to work. He's going to move. He's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Will somebody praise him? Will somebody worship him?
just right here, can you raise a hand to heaven? Can you just go ahead and submit every worry to your Father? Come on, submit every worry. Submit every detail of your life. Come on, we're gonna, we're gonna pick up joy for today and let tomorrow's trouble worry about themselves. Jesus, today, we're choosing joy. We're choosing rest. We're choosing to trust. God, we put aside every worry. We put aside, God, every fear. God, every anxiety, Lord. And we choose to trust you today. We're choosing to lean on your arms. We thank you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. Used to be an old song. We used to sing. I want us to sing it together. We used to go like this, learning to lean. Learning to lean. Come on, if you know it, let's sing it out. Learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Finding, finding more power than I. stretched high we sing that again I'm learning learning to when we learn Jesus a clap of praise right here today. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, the number one command in the Bible, given more than any other command, isn't thou shalt not murder, though it's a great one, right? We need that commandment. <laughs> or thou shalt do this and not do that. The number one command given in the Bible is do not be Every time the Lord came, reminded of it, Bethlehem, where the shepherds are out, angel appears and says, first thing he says is, do not be afraid. When he appears to Mary, do not be afraid, do not fear. It's the number one command in the Bible because God knows our humanity. He understands that it is our gut reaction to worry, to fear, and, and, and to be concerned, like Martha, with just menial things. So today, may we make the effort and the deliberate mind choice to say, I will trust in God. I may even feel the worry, but my actions are going to be trust. My actions won't be worry. My actions will be trust. Do you believe that? You receive it? You're ready to do that this week? Amen. 
Come on, let's close in prayer today. Father, we thank you for such a powerful word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is present right now in this altar time with us. We thank you. God, that you have come to us and told us, do not be afraid, do not be anxious, do not fear. Why? Because you're with us, you are for us. And so today, God, we put our trust in your good intentions. We put our trust in your hands. We put our trust in your character. And we submit it to you today. So as we leave this place, Lord, we're going to leave this place as confident, trusting people in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, everybody said Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Hug somebody on your way out. The ministry team will be down front. If you'd like to receive prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you. God bless you. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock.